this year, one of the things that I wanted to focus on in my life was prayer. Now, that's a never-ending process, and, and I don't let those things discourage me because as we grow in the Lord, you will find out that there's, you never arrive at anything. I mean, think about it. Will you ever get to a place where you say, I am as kind as I could ever be. I am as loving as I could ever be. I'm as prayerful as I can ever be. I, I, I share my faith in Christ more than I could ever do. It, it, I've reached the zenith of everything. We, we can't, so we're always growing. And I just finished a book, a little book called uh, Prayer, the Mightiest Force in the World. And I thought, wow, I love the title. The book was good too, but I love that title, Prayer, the Mightiest Force in the World. I believe the prayer is the mightiest force in the world. I want to live like that. I don't want to just say that. I want to live like that. Prayer is the mightiest force in the world. And if prayer is the mightiest force in the world, then it would make sense that we would want to develop our prayer lives. We would want to be better at praying. So, again, don't be discouraged whether you're a newbie at that or an old-timer at that. I read a book many years ago by uh, someone who was considered like the, the ultimate prayer warrior. And uh, I'm reading this book. It's called... Um, with Christ in the school of prayer. I'm reading this book, and he says, you know what? He said, I am but a novice in prayer. I thought, well, where am I then if you, if you are a novice? But there's that sense that we're always growing in our prayer lives and in any spiritual endeavor that we have. Now, one thing about prayer is I, I asked, would you all like to feel more connected to God in prayer? Would you like to have more of that kind of connection that you feel in prayer? I believe that we receive that connection because we understand God's word and his ways and his purposes, not by our feelings. So I want us to connect, and I'm not opposed to feelings. You've never heard me talk negatively about feelings. Feelings are a wonderful gift from God. Your emotions, your feelings are a wonderful gift from God. God gave those to us. They're just not to lead us. They're not to dominate us. You know this, don't you? Your feelings are fickle. You know, you feel, you know, all kinds of things. You know, if you, if you said you're going to get in shape this year, there'll be times throughout the day where you feel like exercising. It'll always be the most inappropriate time, but that'll be the time where you feel, I feel like exercising. There was an old famous ball player that said, when I get the urge to exercise, I lay down till it passes. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go with that. There are feelings and emotions that we have, and feelings and emotions are good, but if they lead us, if they direct us, they're horrible at directing and leading our lives. So we had to find out, what does Jesus say? What's his word say? How can we grow in the things of God. And so as we, we decide that we're going to grow in the things of God, we have to know his word. We have to know his word, his will, what he teaches. And there are all kinds of sayings we have that connect to our feelings. Now, this is an old saying, so you may not have known this. In fact, I'll just be curious. You can raise your hand. Uh, it's been a long time since I've heard this. But sometimes people will be in prayer, and then they'll talk to you about their prayer life, and they'll say, wow, when I pray, I feel like the heavens are brass. Have you ever heard that saying before? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that saying before. Okay, the heavens are brass. What they're saying is, I'm praying, but my prayers are just like hitting something. Well, that saying is actually a biblical saying. It's in Deuteronomy 28, and the, but it's not about prayer. What it's about is God says, I have these principles designed in the universe, and they work like this. If you obey me and love me and follow my commands, it releases a flow of blessing in your life. And in fact, in many times, I really don't think it's God who looks down and says, oh my goodness, they're doing such a wonderful job, I'm going to bless them. It's the natural flow of walking in obedience to the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 28, he says, but if you choose to ignore me and not obey me and disregard my commands and live however you want and live in sin, 
then these things will happen. The heavens will be brass and withhold rain, and the earth will be iron, so it's hard to grow a crop. He's saying you're not going to walk in the blessing you should walk in. It really didn't have anything to do with prayer. Now, here's a little updated version of it that I still don't hear much anymore, but many of us have probably said it, and I probably have too, where we say, when I pray, I feel like my prayers don't get past the ceiling. Have anybody ever heard that one before? My prayers aren't making it past the ceiling. Well, I'm here to give you some good news today. God is here, and your prayers don't have to get past the ceiling because he is here. He is present. He is near. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he lives in you, abides in you, and upon you. And so we're going to deal with that and work with that a little bit today. But my, so my message title is I decided to call it Prayer, the Lord is Always Near. Prayer, the Lord is Always Near. I don't want you to forget that. We're going to talk about some things today in prayer. I don't want you to glaze over because you might go, oh, message on prayer. I've heard a thousand of those. Don't glaze over because I think I'm going to share some things with you today that even the most seasoned prayer probably hasn't thought of. Now, I want to warn you of this. If I ever come up here and say, I'm going to teach you something that no one's ever taught before, be very suspicious of that. To think that all the saints throughout the years have never had this revelation, but I have, would be a dangerous thing, so I'd be very leery of that. But you may hear something new to you that isn't new in the realm of teaching around the world, and I believe that's what we're going to touch on today, things that aren't new, that have never been taught before. In fact, I owe a lot of this to a guy named Dallas Willard, who I read a lot of his books and listened to him. He passed on to be with the Lord in 2013, I believe. But anything I ever read or heard or anything of Dallas Willard, I really enjoyed, and it really touched me spiritually. So I believe we're going to touch on some things today in prayer that will help us. Now, there's a sacred text that we're going to look at. It's found a couple places in the Bible. Uh, it's found in, in Luke 11. It's found in Matthew 6. Now, if you've never been to church before, and you've never heard a message from a, a speaker before about Christian ideals, I bet you've probably heard this text. Have you ever heard this before? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You've probably heard that before. Even if this is your very first time ever being in church, you've probably heard that before. We're going to deal with that. Now, there's an interesting thing. We're going to look at some things in Matthew 6 that gives some pre-teachings before Jesus says, here's a manner of prayer or model of prayer. But before we do that, there's a great lead into it in Luke, the 11th chapter. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Every time I read that, I marvel because we all can agree that Jesus did some pretty phenomenal things, right? And of everything they saw Jesus do, this is the only one at least recorded in Scripture that they say, teach us to do that. I mean, I would have been asking him to teach me to do all kinds of things. I would have said, you know that walking on the water thing? Can you show me how to do that? I mean, would that not be cool? Would that not impress people? You know, show me how to walk on the water. They didn't ask that. They saw him heal the sick, cure leprosy, blind, deaf, lame, you, the list goes on and on. And yet we never see them in Scripture say, Lord, teach us to heal people. We see him raise the dead. We see him speak in such a way. The Scripture says he speaks not like our normal teachers. He speaks with authority. And so, but they never say, Lord, teach us to teach and preach like you do. That draws a crowd and impacts people and changes lives. They never ask for that. How about this one? They never say, Lord, teach us 
teach us how to have a little basket of food and feed thousands of people. I mean, talk about a cutback on your grocery bill if you could figure out how to do that. They never ask how to do that. But they do watch him pray, and there must have been something about his prayer life that they went, wow, now that right there, that's what I want you to show us. And it says he just finished praying, and the disciple said, again, this is my paraphrase, that right there, that what you just finished doing, teach us how to do that. John taught his disciples how to pray, teach us how to pray. And so then in Matthew 6, Jesus begins to teach. Now, we're going to learn some stuff today, and I really want you to pay attention, write this down, you know, jot it down, get it in your heart, and put it into practice. In Matthew 6, 5 through 8, starting at verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Okay, he's going to tell us two people not to be like in this passage. Don't be like the hypocrites, and don't be like the pagans. Okay, we're not supposed to be like either one of those. The hypocrites were typically religious people who did religious things, but they did them for wrong motivations. And then pagans were irreligious people or were religious people not after Jehovah or not after the Jewish God, but they were after pagan false gods. So we're not supposed to be like hypocrites. We're not supposed to be like pagans. So let's read on. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be, what's the next three words? Seen by others. Now, I was talking to a person once who didn't want to pray publicly because they said, I don't believe the scripture permits us to pray publicly. That's wrong. Public prayer goes on all the time. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. Jesus was praying in a certain place. They were watching him. They saw him pray. Praying publicly is not wrong. What he's saying is don't pray to be a show-off. Don't pray just to be seen by others. When you pray publicly... You're going to be seen by others, but don't do it just to be seen by others. This is the same thing that he teaches before this about doing good deeds. Don't do good deeds just to be seen by others. When you do good deeds, you're going to be seen. In fact, the Bible says this. They should see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. So it's not like it has to be a total secret, but we don't do our good deeds just to be seen by others because if we do that, we have no reward. Well, we have the reward of being seen, but that's it. Now, it goes on to say... Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And maybe that's okay with them. Maybe they didn't care to have reward from God. Maybe they wanted to hear, boy, you're awesome. What a prayer warrior you are. You're so spiritual. You inspire me. And when somebody says that to them, oh, they can swell up with pride and they got what they wanted. But here it says, but when you go to pray, go to your room, or I think the King James calls it a closet, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, now here's a key one. This is a tough one for us. You may not have ever realized that you even have this problem. How, aren't you excited today? I'm going to show you a problem you didn't even know you had. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we're going to look at this. This is a problem most of us have. We'll talk about it. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. Do not keep on rambling, do not keep on going on and on and on when you're praying. The King James calls it using vain repetition. Vain means empty or hollow or useless. There's nothing wrong with repetition, which we'll see that in a minute, but there is something wrong with vain repetition. So my, my, I have uh, both my, the people I'm going to talk about have gone on to be with the Lord. I had an aunt, and I don't know if you've ever met someone like this, and I'm not talking somebody that just likes to talk. A lot of us like to talk, 
I mean, somebody just, you ever met anybody like that? I mean, just, I mean, it's incessant, nonstop. Well, I had an aunt like that, sweet gal. And, I, and my father was a man of few words. I mean, he wasn't hard to have a conversation with, but he just, I never remember in all my life him just sitting down, just, oh, la, 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 where you go, oh, dad, you know, enough already. He just wasn't like that. So one day I walk into the house, and my aunt's sitting at the table talking to my dad. Now, my dad was a skinny little thing. He was, um, wasn't sick, but I'd take him to the doctor, and he'd hop on the scale, six foot tall, fully dressed, 118 pounds. And it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, he's getting ready to die. This was, you know, year after year, every time I took him to the doctor, which you see where I get that. So anyway, <laughs> I'm confused by the laughter. I don't know what that was about. But my dad would always kind of uh, curl up. He'd always cross his leg like this, and he'd sit at the kitchen table, and he'd have a cup of coffee and a cookie. And I used to think he ate all the time, but when I saw how much he ate, is you know, half a plate full all day long, he'd dip that coffee and chew on that cookie. And my aunt was sitting there just, and so dad was dipping, eating, uh-huh, uh-huh, dipping, eating. And so she got up and left, and so I said, Dad, I said, you, you know, you're a pretty quiet guy. How do you take that? Ser he looked at me dead serious. He was not joking. He said, oh, I don't listen to half of what she says. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it struck me so funny, and I thought, so true, though. He, he didn't listen to half of what she said. And I thought, what a perfect pair, you know. He could sit there and eat his cookie, and she can just go, la, 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 and get it all done. So God tells us that we don't need to be like that. We don't need to have vain repetition. Because look at what, look at what the uh, uh, pagans do. It says, for they think that they will be heard because of what? Their many words. They think they will be heard because of their much speaking, I believe the King James says, because they talk. They amass, their goal is, I have to amass a big pile of words to move my false god. And the Bible says you don't have to be like that with God because, it goes on to say, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And you may say, well, then why ask? Because he told us to. He told us to ask. There are times even as parents where we know what our child needs, but we wait for them to ask. And when they ask, they receive. And so we don't have to be like that because God knows what we need before we even ask him. I had a child one time, teenagers, going off to the store and and uh, I said, oh, while you're at the store, I said, pick me up something. So I told him what to pick me up. Now, how many of y'all know this? I ran into this before there were cell phones. It was very, very tough. We're, we're not married very long. I'm going to the store. She says, pick me up some tomato paste. I said, no problem. So I go to the tomato paste. What I didn't know back then was that there was an aisle of tomato paste that's 8 foot tall and 15 feet long. So I'm looking at so many choices I mesmerized. So I just closed my eyes and picked one, hoped that was the right one. Well, in this day, we had cell phones, so I'm telling my son, hey, the particular product I want, I got it, Dad. I said, okay, well, I said, but it's very, I got it, I got it, I got it. I said, okay. Fifteen minutes later, I get a phone call. Uh, you know, there's like 20 different styles of this thing. I said, exactly, that's what I was trying to tell you. So we get trained sometimes as parents to over-communicate because we, just, we want to tell them every different way. Now what I like to do, I'm serious about this, I take a photo of it, and then send it. So they can look, oh, it's green, and it looks like this, and has this description on it, and that, that can help in our world today. We don't have to do that to God because he knows what we need before we ask him. Now, there's some real problems in here that Jesus is dealing with that we struggle with. First of all, I want to say this. Repetition is not wrong. Vain repetition is wrong. 
You say, well, what's that mean? Well, if you got up in the morning, let's say the first thing you do is you roll out of bed, you feel your feet hit the floor, and you said, Lord, I'm yours today. Use me. I yield to you. May I be a great example of what a lover of Jesus is like today. If you said that every morning, that would be repetition, wouldn't it? But it's not hollow. It's not empty. That's a powerful thing to say every day. There's nothing wrong with repetition. There's stuff wrong with vain, empty repetition. Now, how do we get to vain, empty repetition? We get there because we think, even we Christians think, we will be heard by our much speaking. Now, that's very common in pagan worlds. If you look back at Elijah and the prophets, they had to go on and on and on and on and on to try to move their God. Elijah's prayer is relatively short. They went on all day long because they thought that's what they had to do to make their God do something. You know, we'll, we'll wear him out with a massive amount of words, but that's not how our God works. And so repetition is fine. But then what happens? Here's a struggle I have. Maybe you have this too. Somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I have a life-threatening illness. I just got a report from the doctor. And they said that what they can do medically might work, but it's pretty slim. But if, I, if it doesn't work or I don't get a miracle, then I'm a goner. I will not be here this time next year. Now, would we all agree that's a pretty dire prayer request? Would you please pray for me? I mean, that's more important than, hey, I'm going to go play golf tomorrow. Would you pray that there's good weather? I mean, all of us like good weather when we're golfing, but that doesn't rank up there with I have a life-threatening illness. So we get that prayer, and we're very serious to pray about them. And so we do something like this. We fervently and passionately and faithfully as much as we can. We begin to pray. And we say, hey, God, I'm lifting up John Doe in prayer right now. You know the report that he got. And so we're, we're crying out to God. Lord, touch him, heal him. You know, bless and anoint the doctors and nurses. Lord, we, we pray the prayer of Acts chapter 4. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We believe you're still Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so we pray all these healing scriptures. And we pray fervently and passionately. And then we say amen. And we look at our watch. And we've been praying for 50 seconds. And we feel like that's disrespectful. Somebody just told me they're going to die if they don't get a miracle. And I prayed for 50 seconds. Well, I can't go watch Mary Poppins now for 90 minutes if I'm not going to pray longer, so we, we start praying. Now, I want to ask a question. In that 50-second prayer, did we cover everything that needed to be said? We did, didn't we? So now the only thing I'm going to do is maybe appease my own conscience and so now I've got to start repeating stuff because I don't know how to pray for somebody's healing for an hour without saying some of the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Are, are you with me? I mean, I don't know what else to say. I'm done. So then we can get into vain repetitions. And there are some even Christian organizations that will give you Christian things to say because if you need to pray for a certain amount of time, you're just going to say them over and over and over and over again. Now, listen to me. Nothing wrong with long prayers. Jesus prayed all night long when he was choosing his disciples. But if you go to the tomb of Lazarus, would we all agree, if you know the story of Lazarus, it's a dire situation. He's been dead four days. His body's rotten. His organs have shut down. His brain hasn't fired a brain wave for four days. Uh, they go to roll the stone away, and even the sisters say, don't roll the stone away, man. You don't not want to know what you're getting ready to smell if you roll that stone away from his de decomposing body. And so Jesus gets up there, and he prays one of his lengthier prayers very serious about this. One of his lengthier prayers, I believe it's in John chapter 11. If you go to John chapter 11 today and look it up and you pray this prayer that Jesus prayed slowly, it will take you about 15 seconds 
about 15 seconds. It's pretty effective, though, don't you agree? Because <laughs> Lazarus did come forth, and they took off his grave clothes, and, and he was alive. What happens? We have to be very careful that we, our prayer life isn't moved by our emotions or by our feelings, but by Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful theology, meaning a study of God. We watch Jesus and we say, hmm, here's how the Father is. Now, I got that idea from the Bible. I got that idea from Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what I see him do. I only say what I hear him say. And so when we find Jesus, when it comes to just praying for specific needs, he's not very lengthy. The winds and the waves are about to sink the ship. And here's his long-winded prayer. Peace be still. He takes more time to teach the disciples about their lack of faith than he did to deal with the winds and the waves. Well, interesting. Well, we have to be careful. Now, I'm not asking you to be flippant. Flippant means that you're, you know, casual about it. So I wouldn't want to hear a prayer requests like that and think, man, I'm getting ready to go out to eat. And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, God, uh, heal John Doe. Anyway, so where, where are we going to go eat? I think that's flippant. But fervent means passionate and intense. And so at the end of your 60-second prayer, you've been passionate and intense, and there really isn't nothing more to say. Now, that doesn't mean you won't pray for him again and confess the word over him again, but I just want you to hear this from Jesus' teaching. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to be heard when they pray and like to show off, and don't be like the pagans who think they'll be heard because they amassed a bunch of words. I'm telling you, I struggle with that because I think it... Are, are you with me? Doesn't it feel like somewhat disrespectful? This person said they're going to die if they don't get some help. And I gave them a 50-second prayer. But I don't know what to do unless I just keep repeating myself over and over and over and over again. And I know what happens when I pray like that. Here's exactly what happens. God is sitting at the kitchen table. He's got his legs crossed. He's <laughs> dipping a cookie in some coffee. And I'm going, and so Jesus says, hey, Father, did you hear that prayer? I didn't hear half what he said. I don't, I don't know. No. We do know he hears what I say. But it isn't necessary. Now, will you pray all night long sometimes? Sure. Are there things where you're praying? Yeah, for wisdom or direction. I get that. Again, Jesus did have some long times of prayer. There are more private times of prayer, but public prayer was very short. So, We're going to look at just the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to deal with this sacred text. And we're going to look at something really cool. In Matthew 6, 9, two of the most probably used translations on planet Earth are probably the King James Version and the New International Version. The New International Version has Jesus saying, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The King James says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Those are the top two verses. Now, we're going to review one of these most famous verses in the Bible. And, and no throwing stones, because we're going to tweak this verse. And then we're going to get a better understanding of what God's saying. And anytime you mess with a sacred text, that could get you in trouble. Here is a better translation, 
And anytime you hear something, you should ask yourself, I did. First time I learned this, I went, is that true? I never heard that before. And so guess what I did? I researched and studied, which is exactly what you should do. I have no problem if you leave today and say, I don't believe that at all. I'm going to research this and study it, okay? Because Paul said that the Bereans were more noble than all the other minister or churches he ministered at because when he taught them something, they searched the scriptures to see if the thing he was teaching was true. And that did not offend him. He did not get to say, well, how dare you? I mean, I have been taught by the risen Jesus. How dare you challenge me? No, he said they were more noble because they sought it out. Here is a better translation. Our Father in the heavens. Plural. Our Father in the heavens. Now, when I first learned that, I said, I wonder if that's accurate. So, in the world of Bible translations, there are many that are called literal translations. A literal translation, your New Testament is written primarily in Greek. And so they take the Greek and they translate into English or Russia or whatever the language is they're translating the Bible into. And if you read a raw literal translation, it's very cumbersome and very difficult to read. And so we add words. I know it's like, oh, we're not supposed to add anything. And we're not adding truth. We're, not, we're adding things to make a sentence flow better. If you read the literal Greek in John 3.16 is something like God, loved, world, believe, him. You know, you go, wow, that's so for God so loved the world. We didn't add any truth to it. We just added so it was more readable. And so if you look at the Greek on this, and I got a Greek New Testament, let's throw that line up there. Here's how it would read literally in the Greek. And by the way, I checked three uh, literal translations of the Greek and every single one of them said heavens. And when I went to my Greek Bible, it says, Thus therefore pray you, this is a literal translation, Thus therefore pray you, Father of us, who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Or hallowed be the name of you, is the literal translation. Now, this is important, and I want to talk about these heavens, because... Oh, there's superstition and silly stuff out there. Like, oh, is there different levels of heaven that we go to? Like the okay Christians get heaven level number one, and really good Christians get heaven level number two, and, and the really awesome Christians, they get heaven level number three. No, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't that odd of a phrase, except more in our modern world. If you're reading sometimes, especially old poetry or older lang language, you might read something like, and I beheld the birds flying in the heavens. Right? I looked up into the heavens at the starry sky. Those are heavens. There are three heavens mentioned in scripture and just in life. The first one is the blue sky and the atmosphere that surrounds the earth. It is a heaven. That's where the birds fly. That's where our airplanes fly. In the heavens, the breathable atmosphere around the earth. If you ever see a picture of it, you'll see a little blue ring around it. That's our breathable atmosphere. That's heaven number one. Heaven number two is outer space where the planets are, the solar systems, the galaxies, the cosmos, all that. And then the third heaven is what we often call the abode or home, a dwelling place of God. Paul said one time, the great apostle, he said this, I knew a man who went into the third heaven. What he was saying was he went to the place where the angels are. He went to that place. He said whether he went in his body or just in his spirit, I don't know. But he tells a story about someone going to the third heaven. So it's not real mysterious. And God 
permeates all of those. All of those. Now, why do I think this is important? That we know that God dwells in the heavens, not just in heaven. I think it's important because we tend to think when we are praying that we are down here. We're saying our prayer. And somehow it's got to traverse all the way up to heaven where God dwells. And so we get done praying and we hope, we hope that we said or prayed in such a way that somehow made it. But we're not really sure. And of course we don't even really know where that dwelling place of the angels and God is. So where is it? We look up into a starry expanse and we can't see it. So where is it? And so I think it's important for us to know that God is in the heavens. That he dwells and lives in the heavens. Listen, God is here right now. God's right here in our midst. The, the scriptures talk about the, the Lord who is mighty to save, the Lord who is in our midst. He is mighty to save. He is with us. He is here. He's in the heavens. He's in the atmosphere of earth. He's in the cosmos. He's in this dwelling place. He's with the angels. He's everywhere. He is everywhere. The Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 and 5 talks about the Lord being near. And this is a couple of verses right before he tells us about prayer. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is what? Near. The Lord is near. The Lord is here. And then the psalmist says in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present or very present help in trouble. He is here. So the good news is your prayers don't have to get past the ceiling. He is here. God is here. God is near. And so I want us to take this information this week and as we pray, and, and by the way, I have no problem with you checking all this out. This is not some foreign new teaching that no one's ever thought of before. It's just what the Bible says. Sadly, it was not the best translation to say our Father which art in heaven because our minds immediately thought of the dwelling place of God. Maybe the original people who translate didn't. Maybe they understood he's in heaven everywhere. But we need to know God is here. And so as you pray, whether you have a feeling or not, I want you to know the truth. God is here. God is present. God is, is he's right beside you. He, he permeates the room that you're in. He's everywhere. And so we can have confidence when we pray. Now, I don't mind if you get a feeling. I have feelings every now and then in prayer. But I will say this. It is only very now and then. I told you back, it might have been a year or so ago, I was having my Sunday morning before I, you know, got ready, spent some time with the Lord. And I was praying. And, man, the presence of God just filled the place. And I'm not joking about this either, because I really mean this. When I tell you something, I, I have a respect of God that I wouldn't just make something up. I am fearful when people do that. I think it's so wrong. There was such a presence of God. I'm not joking. I literally, and I use that word literally, literally felt like I was just going to float up to the third heaven. And I was like, wow. And so I told Darlene, I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I had this experience in prayer this morning. She said, do you remember I told you a few months before that, the people in the prayer room had had an experience like that where they all felt like, man, this presence of God came in, we were just going to float. So I guess God said, okay, I'll let you have that experience too. You know, you're a few months behind. But, but then I knew what she was talking about. I've never had that before, and I've never had it since. And that's fine. I'm still going to pray. And I'm not praying hoping I'll get that feeling again. It may never come. 
it was it was cool it was wonderful it was oh so so amazing but our prayer life isn't based on a feeling or an experience it's based on following jesus and his word so here's our prayer insights let's put them into practice don't pray just to be seen to people i think we all know that but i'm going to give you another little side note too don't be afraid to pray in front of people because you have the opposite you ever felt like that like I don't want to pray publicly, not because I want to be seen to people, but I don't want to see, be seen by people. I'm afraid I won't pray like they pray, or I won't be as good as they are. So what if you're not? It doesn't matter. I, I promise you, anybody you're praying with who loves Jesus as a, a seasoned believer that you pray in front of, and you sputter on your words, and you stumble, and you get tongue-tied, and you forget what you're going to say, any person who looks down at you for praying like that is not a seasoned believer or prayer anyway. You know, so don't, you don't even need to worry about that. And so don't let the opposite thing keep you from praying in public as well. The second thing is don't ramble on thinking that lots of words are going to move God. It's not. Faith, fervency, the word of God, it moves God. Third thing, don't pray with vain or empty repetition. Repetition is fine, just not empty repetition. You don't have to say, boy, i gotta got to pray for another 20 minutes at least. And so you just start making something up and saying it over and over and over and over again. Forget that. The fourth thing is be fervent. I do want to encourage you to be passionate, be intense, not flippant. I don't want you to be superficial or shallow. But fervent and length don't equal each other. But that's kind of what we think. I mean, if you're really a fervent prayer, you surely were on your face before God for me for two hours, weren't you? And it's embarrassing to say, I actually think I prayed for you about 50 seconds. And you go, Wow. That, that wasn't good. I need more prayer. Jesus didn't. Guess what? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Here's one thing that shocks me about the church. We totally believe that we're supposed to be like Jesus when it comes to love and kindness and sincerity and, and thoughtfulness and prayer and all that. But we don't think we're supposed to be like Jesus when it comes into getting the results he got when he ministered and prayed for people. Oh, well, we, we can't be like that. Well, if I can't be like that in getting results in prayer, then... Why should I ever believe I can get the results of loving like Jesus loved? That's a pretty high bar, don't you think? Or caring, or, but still, that's our goal. And if I said to myself, I, I don't think I'll ever reach loving like Jesus loves, guess what I should still do? Pursue loving like Jesus loved. I'll never have the prayer life Jesus had. Who cares? I'm still going to keep shooting for having a prayer life like Jesus had. So we're supposed to be like him. Then lastly, pray knowing God is present. He is near. 